Hello, welcome to yet more Rahala Stapa. Tim Minchin's middle name is David. God, how I regret getting that wrong on the last Rahala Stapa. Uh, this week, though, we are with the luminescent genius and wit, Sarah Pascoe, who reveals another terrible lying rumor about me that you are going to really fucking enjoy. It's not true. <laughs> Funny though. Um, <laughs> hope you'll enjoy that. Do keep supporting these podcasts if you can. Go com slash badges. Become a monthly badger. You get a ridiculous amount of extra stuff. It's crazy. Um, and uh, help us make more podcasts. All the money goes into just making more podcasts. It's just a win-win situation for you because you get loads of extra videos and stand-up shows and advance warning of the guests. Uh, Michael Palin and Adam and Joe show Rahalaspa's sold out before the news had even been made public to anyone else other than the Badgers. So think about that, my fine friends, sitting there on your couch. Um, and also, you could go for stripe.com, you can buy books, emergency questions books, three books of 20 quid, very good value, uh, and top trump cards. It's lovely out there, I'm telling you. Come and see Rahalaspa live. We're back at the Leicester Square Theatre in March, every Monday in March. And the first Monday in April, we're also in Birmingham and Norwich uh, very soon. Uh, many of these gigs have sold out, but there are still a few tickets for some of the London gigs. Come on, London, why not come down? It's a great, great evenings of entertainment. Two shows, I mean one show, uh, just one podcast each time. You don't get two, so don't expect that. Just leave. If, 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 if there's an interval around, I mean, if it, the first one ends, just leave, obviously, because there's, there's only one. Oh, no, my, my email keeps doing that, doesn't it? That's just from Netflix as well. What a what a, a terrible... You've looked, checked your email, haven't you? And it wasn't you, it was me. So, look, thanks for your support. Uh, there's a very good run of podcasts coming up, I know, because I was in them and I saw them, and uh, I'm very much looking forward to getting back into the old seat and talk to Michael Palin uh, on Monday. So... Check out if you're an O2 customer as well. I think there's still just about time to register interest to get priority tickets. Go to the priority app for James Acaster at the O2, the tiny room. It's the O2 with the Rahalastapas arrived. Whoop, whoop, I'm raising the roof. That's what the cool kids do, right? That's what you do, right, you cool kids? Ugh. Oh, yeah. uh, sorry, I just had a little moment. I'm 52 years old. Please sit back, relax, just get as relaxed as you can for this very funny and uh, very interesting as I always. I didn't ask you to, you stupid fucking Siri twat. Um, you've ruined my introduction. What are you going to say about that, Siri? You ruined it. Say sorry, Siri. I'm not sure I understand. Siri, say sorry for what you've done. Hey, Siri, apologise now. I'm not sure I understand. Yeah, very convenient for you. I'm glad. Yeah. Anyway, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Rahala Stapa with Sarah Pascoe. Is this number three? I think it's her third one. Hello, people. Welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who has been passing on his stone-clearing knowledge to the next generation. It's Richard Herring! 
Thank you, London. It's so good to be back. So good to be back once again. Uh, welcome to Richard Herring's Lay Mass Six Twatting Podcast in a week. I mean, six weeks. Is. So, um, uh, I was hanging around with the Oxford University Orienteering Society the other day, and I mentioned that because I was in Oxford. I did mention this in the Oxford podcast, but I was sat in pret a uh, it's first term of uh, a new term for some of the students there, and I was sat next to two look, boys who looked like they were 12 years old, who were talking about orienteering as if it was a thing that no one would have heard of, and just were so awkward. And I looked at them and thought, that is just me and my friend Mike Cosgrave. It's a terrible, terrible thing to realise why you never had sex until you were 20. <laughs> And anyway, what those guys can't do with a compass isn't worth doing. That's why I'll tell you. And they call it Rahalastapa. So I don't say, oh, it's catching a lot of cool kids. A lot of cool orienteering kids in today. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, uh, the thing is, I'm doing so many podcasts because I'm on tour. Uh, you know, usually I have a, like some time in between to have something happen to you. I did some 24 hours ago. All that's happened is I've come back from Oxford, gone to sleep, woken up and had to come and do this fucking shit. <laughs> I had to go and do the... I said to, the, I said to my management, have we got two in a, two days? What are you thinking? Why did, you, why did I agree to that? And they put in loads of PR interviews this afternoon. I said, when am I going to ever research the shows? That's what's happened to me today. Uh, and so um, it's... You know, it's very... Someone, someone's going home. That's my life, that is. It, me, me, listening to this. Um, I'm delighted. It's lovely. I've only got one more to go and then I can, and then I can die. Um, I, I've been out with my son. I took my son out onto my stone clearing field uh, this week and uh, we did a bit of stone clearing. Today. He's two. Uh, he was mainly falling over. Uh, but, and he did throw some stones, but he threw them further onto the field. He saw me throwing the stones off, but he threw them on further. So there's a lot. It's more difficult than it looks is what I'm saying, stone clearing. <laughs> Uh, let's see who we've got in our audience today, because uh, there's a gentleman here trying to avoid eye, eye contact with me. What's, what's your name, sir? Russell. Russell, that's a nice name. A uh, man with a beard. Two, there's two men with beards in the front row. It's nice. What do you do for a living, Russell? IT? I work in IT. Do you work in IT? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're, ch you're fairly chunky. How's it, how's it going for you, the IT? Is it good? Yeah, what's the best um, bit of IT you've done the last month, would you say, in October 2019? Yeah, a bit of service, yeah, that's, that's the... Yeah, the lot of the guys, you know where you're coming from. But you seem to be here with a woman, so that's... Uh, is this your, are, you, are you with this lady? It's your wife. Yeah. It can happen, mate. That's the thing, it can happen, so that's... It can happen. Never give up, never give up. What's, what's your name? Claire. Claire, that's a lovely name. Claire, what do you do for a living? Um, I work for a marketing agency. You work for a marketing agency, which is sort of the female equivalent of being in IT, right? So that's, that's OK, that's... I was going to say, you know, how did you end up with this guy? <laughs> Fair enough. You're very welcome. Thanks for coming. You know, and that's a bloke from the... That's, the, that's a woman there, so... Maybe think twice before you slag off my audience again. <laughs> but thanks for the nice things you said about me. Uh, <laughs> so my guest... You should hate the spectator. I love them. Um, I'm beginning to warm to their political views. Please welcome my guest this week. She's probably best known. You'll recognise her. She was an audience member in the Keith Barrett show. I mean, I'm guessing, like, uh, I'm guessing, <laughs> like, she was an actor pretending to be someone in the audience, or oh, that is a really weird thing to put an IMDb. <laughs> it's Sarah Basco, ladies and gentlemen. Sarah Basco. <laughs> 
Hello, sit down, there's a microphone. Hello. It's my pleasure. This is your third time as well. We've it had... is. It's Tim 3 as well. Yeah, t 3 3. Yeah, we looked at each other in the crossover in the dressing room, <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, that, okay. over the last week that took. Um, <laughs> that was a week. That was a week. Sarah was very keen. She's been here for a week just psyching herself up with the bigger. <laughs> You you spent fifty grand yeah. getting buying your own program back. Yeah. H how much did you get paid to do it in the first place? Uh, Was it well, less than that or more uh, than that? Probably about that between the two of us. But in the nineties. Oh no, actually, well, yeah, we, we did two series, so we probably got about that each for doing the two series. Two series, and yeah. then you spent it all on buying it back. Yeah. <laughs> and um, <laughs> how much to go till you've uh, broken even? Well, I mean, if I'm going to be honest, please. It's an honest podcast that I'm uh, hosting. <laughs> I think it probably made about 200 grand. Well, you've, from selling them? Yeah. <laughs> and you and Stu pretend to be so like, oh, just get in by. Okay, okay. Understand. I think that's, that's right. Chris Evans can fact, fact check. They did pretty well. No, that's, we, that's brilliant. Because we yeah. actually, but the because the uh, other versions was this is something that people at home didn't see, of course. Uh, the other version is was like the luxury sets with five discs, so we were selling them for twenty five quid a pop. Lovely. So we made we made the money back. What uh, what was the key, what was the audience member in the Keith Barrett show? Oh, I was I a genuine audience member. Oh, yeah? okay. So after university, um, me and my best friend Cariad, we met at university and we were both desperate to be actors and because we were desperate to be actors, we were very poor. I lived with Cariad and her mum in, in, in their house after university and so to go out um, and some of you may know this as well, it's free to go to TV programmes. You just have to get there at six o'clock and queue up. So we went to see QI We've yeah. now both been on QI. I'm not saying that it's magic. If you go to a TV program, <laughs> then eight years you get to be on it. But in yeah. my experience, 50% uh, of the shows I went to watch in the audience, I've now been yeah. on. A lot and of these guys will be on this, to be fair. <laughs> I'm, I'm, running, I'm, running, I'm running out. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so Keith, the Keith Barrett show, we went to watch, and um, he... Um, he's amazing Rob Brydon and you'll know this but he does amazing impressions and things and so rather than having a warm up come back on and doing audience chat he comes and does it and he does like a man in a well and yeah. he does a really good Hugh Grant and that kind of stuff and he also does lots of audience participation and um, he made fun of me because he asked me my name and I said Sarah and he asked me my surname and I didn't want to tell him <laughs> and so he made up a story where I was on the run because okay. I hadn't paid my tax okay. <laughs> which is probably why it's on my IMDb so <laughs> as a career highlight yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's good I, th I've that never is... told Rob Brydon no I've done what I lied to you a few times and I've never my lie has never been I came to watch you on the Keith Barrett show <laughs> <laughs> so do you think someone's put that on who recognised you from the show? I assumed you'd done it no. So you, <laughs> so you had an intro. No, well, I, you know, I would, would have done if I'd known. Um, Do you think Rob Brydon did it? Might be, it might be Rob Brydon. <laughs> so I recognise it from somewhere. <laughs> um, there's lots I want to talk to you about. Well, that's good then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's going to make this a bit yeah, easier. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Let's first of all... Why have you got your hand on your face? You know, it's just... Like I, I'm just trying to prop myself it's up. It's self-soothing. <laughs> Just, it's just human contact. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Is it, though? <laughs> Scarcely. Um, let's talk about you. I don't think we talked about you being on Pointless Celebrities and House oh. of Games. 
And I'm very interested okay. in those things. Oh, yeah. How did you get on, on Pointless Celebrities? Um, so I've done it three times. Yeah, I've done it three times. You've done it three times. Tim Minchin's been on the show three times. I've been on it three times. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a competition. Um, I Progressively worse is how I've done. Oh, really? Um, the first time I did it with Josh Widdicombe. Yeah. Josh Widdicombe, the brain. Um, yeah. Josh Widdicombe is a very funny person. You know that already. He has an exceptional memory. He remembers everything, even when it's off his tits. Um, somehow, it's just so many brain cells. And um, the first pointless, we um, not only got the trophy through to the final, we won. Wow. Because Josh Widdicombe remembered reading an article um, with Will Self. Okay. He remembered an article and he got the author's rights, which is fine. Then the next two times, I can't remember who was with him, and both times were bad. Yeah. It's really very much about who you're with. That's, that's what I've discovered when I've been on so, who so you're what, with. So what's your times? I came, I was out in first, first round with Rona Cameron. She, yep. she, I was did you know each other already? Yeah. You did? Yeah. You said, you said yeah, like... I mean, a little bit, but not... not, not we weren't friends. Did we you ever text each other? No. Okay, you don't know each other. Okay. <laughs> like, so you knew who each other were. Yeah. You got paired by the programme. Yeah. That's what they do. Yeah. They pair you and then you pretend to like each other. Every time I've been, oh no, well, every time the programme's been, the second time was Robert Webb. Yep. Did Friends. Spot to the second round. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Have you ever texted each other? No. Okay, so. <laughs> again, again, again. Okay, so. And the third time I texted this person. Yes, with It's my wife. Yes. I've done more than text her. <laughs> okay, this isn't a bragging competition. <laughs> I've had, I've had sex with those, what I was saying. Yeah, and you haven't Twice. had sex with Rona Cameron or Robert Webb. <laughs> Not yet, but... We now know. <laughs> Not yet. But after the show, uh, after I, if we'd won, I would have done. Uh, but, uh, if they and then, finished. so how did you and Katie do? We got through to the l l penultimate round. So you got the got trophy? Knocked out by two, no, oh. got knocked out by two points by... So you still uh, don't have a pointless trophy? Citizen Smith will you, will you do it a fourth time? Or they obey yeah, them? I was yeah. meant to go a fourth time with Michael Sheen. We, this one's just gone out. He loves games. Yeah, he loves and games he so much. Asked for me. He was on the, my podcast. Oh, bless him. I came back from holiday to do my podcast with Michael Sheen. Yeah. Uh, he asked for me to be on Pointless with him. It was on. I came back on the Monday, and then I was going back on holiday. It was on the Wednesday that with the, it was recorded. And I decided I couldn't let my family down by staying in London for two nights rather than one night. So I came back to the holiday to my stupid fucking family. <laughs> Michael Sheen went on to win and get that. Who, who was the second? He got Steve Pemberton, his, who was very clever. So he's got you and then Steve Pemberton. Yeah, so it was me first. You first, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. so, so, so Michael Sheen, it's so weird that he's in comedy circles now yeah. because he was at the McCuntleth Festival. Right. And I've, I don't, I mean, I know Michael Sheen as in the famous Hollywood actor, an yeah. incredible actor, but he was at McCuntleth, which is just comedians drinking very warm beer, like worrying about their work in progress shows <laughs> to 30 people. And I was introduced to him, and it was like, um, hello, Sarah, here's the actor Michael Sheen. And he was like, oh, I know you, you've been on the chase. <laughs> <laughs> because he and then he was just like talking about how much he loves games yeah. and I was like you know you could just go on pointless like, <laughs> like they were just like, we're both so obsessed we're both it? obsessed yeah. with games I was going to mm. talk about it on your uh, on your book where, which there was a bit that made me think about the reason I like game shows so much which I have discussed on here before mm. in the 80s and 90s there was no pornography and I know you talk about that a lot in your book and so when I was quite a young man, I mean, I would say a, a just about a man, but still a boy, I used to masturbate to the attractive women on Going for Gold. <laughs> and now, having read your book, I go, 
Oh, is this why I like game shows? <laughs> and is it? Yeah, am I, you know, am I sexually yes. excited by game shows, or am I hoping people are going to masturbate well, no, or, uh, looking at me on just, game you shows? You just have positive memories. Yeah. Your body just emits certain neurotransmitters. Yeah. Of like, yeah, this yeah. is nice. Oh, it's nice being here on and this game show. Nothing will ever shock me about what men masturbate to, or women actually. <laughs> I'm not. What, what people will masturbate to is incredible. Yeah. Don't you think? Well, that is incredible, but it also is something. It says something about the time in that there was very little available to masturbate yeah, to no, in but those this is, days. But it's a good thing to remember about pornography, that when we all panic that it's creative, it's like people were always wanking. They were yeah. just having to be very creative yeah. <laughs> about what they wanked. All we've done is made it slightly simpler. Yeah. You always had to shut your eyes when Henry Kelly came on. <laughs> oh, I don't know the show Going For God. No, oh, man. If I don't you, know. If she knew, oh, what was I it? was imagining, like, um, The Gladiator, <laughs> no. but with gold bikinis. No, oh, it was, was very that. much people standing behind... <laughs> but every now and again it was a European because very it was very pro, you know pro you it was very Romaine it was okay. I think Hans Zimmer wrote the theme music to it I might be wrong I nearly said that when Tim Minchin was here uh, who wrote his music for his film um, it was uh, people from all over Europe and Henry Kelly you know yeah. Henry Kelly no so young. No one does. From going for, from game for a laugh. Going for gold. <laughs> from the thing I'm talking about. No, I don't know who this is. Oh, you're so young. No, I'm not. Uh, I just we weren't allowed to watch TV as children. Okay. So. Uh, but it was just basically yeah. a buzzer game show with people behind and Europeans, and I and I was it was exciting to see some European ladies. That was that was enough. And so everyone was dressed. Yeah, everyone was cl fully clothed. And they were just buzzing. Yeah. And answering questions. Yeah. And if they were. Can I ask were, a question that's yeah. personal? Yeah. How long? From starting to wank <laughs> yeah. to uh, ending, yeah. uh, culmination of experience, it, does it take? How long is this program? And how? <laughs> how, how, how is it like a, quest, a question and answer? Or yeah, was it, like, so it, was, it was a thirty-minute program. Yeah, but how long is your wank? <laughs> I mean, I think it was prolonged. I, I think sometimes it would not reach completion because it was, you know, you there was. Seven. There was three people. It was there three okay, or four so people playing. I've got playing. some more questions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so would you put it on going, I need a wank, I'll watch Going For Gold? <laughs> or when it was on, did you go, oh, sometimes I can wank to this. I'll see if today's one of the days. I think more that. I think I like the, ga okay, I like the game show. You would show. watch it anyway. Yeah, I'd watch it anyway, but if there was a pretty European lady, sometimes a British woman was attractive enough, but not very often. Um, <laughs> they sometimes had sexy ladies on it. Yeah. You know, just and I find intelligence sexy too, but they also have to be pretty in that instance. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, so interesting, it was, isn't you know, it? Yeah. it? But it was sort of charming what what you could masturbate to as a as a teenager. Yeah. When there was no, I mean, I'm I, I'm sort of glad. I'm glad I didn't see hardcore pornography as a child and teenager myself. Yeah. And I didn't like you. I didn't see pornography really until I was in my. 20s before mm. I saw a proper yeah. hardcore porn. But I think film. that's the thing about us worrying about on other people's behalf. Yeah. It's because we think something terrible will have happened to us when actually it's exactly the same body having the same reactions sure. to a, like arousal. You got aroused from someone on a quiz. Yeah. Whereas there's a, <laughs> there's a teenager going, yeah, for me it was just a naked woman. <laughs> <laughs> like it, there isn't any necessary, necessarily there isn't, we project a lot of harm. Yes. No, well, what your book is yeah. um, is I mean, there's a lot to talk about your book. Your book is called Sex, Power, Money. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I've been listening to the audio book as I do, so I've had you read the book to me, which is extremely generous of you. Uh, and 
I mean, it's it's for me, it's it's very much my wheelhouse because it's about evolution, which I'm obsessed with, and mm. it's about genitalia, yeah, which I'm obsessed with, and it's about pornography, which I'm interested in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Academically, and that's it's a very academic look at it. And uh, you know, I think it's interesting because you have challenged some of your own preconceptions. Mm. You've started out, uh, uh, and and I think that's true. You know, sort of the uh, the old school version of pornography for feminism was it was a bad thing. It was influencing kids in a, in a yeah, negative way. Yeah, but there way. was also this, I mean, because I can understand where it came from, because feminists wanted to exist in a world where what they looked like wasn't relevant, that they were treated as sexless beings in terms of judged on their ability or what they said at meetings and their ideas, and, and they kept coming up against situations that meant that they were never invisible and just their ideas or just what they were talking about. And, of course, the easiest thing to blame was, well, the sexualization of women... And so it then became this binary where they were then blaming people who made... They thought that sexuality would just stop. Like, oh, if no one can see boobs anywhere, people will forget we've got them. <laughs> I, I think was the thinking. Yeah, they were wrong because you know, my going for gold experience proves that. <laughs> exactly, exactly I, that. I would yeah. still manage to find women attractive if they never took their clothes off and just answered questions asked by Henry Kelly. It's quite a specific kink. <laughs> Well, all that's very interesting. I think what's uh, what's amazing about your book for me, and we, uh, I think both this and your last book would occasionally cross over in subject matter with my book, Talking Cop. Yes, which uh, I have read, so I'm not stealing from you. No, but I, you gave it to me when I was on this podcast. I did, and uh, and and you know, I think you would you'd, you'd find these things. I'm sure you found them out in other places anyway, as I did. But there was a piece of uh, a theory about penises that had never occurred to me and I'd never... Oh, which theory was that? Uh, the idea, it's essentially the idea that the penis is mushroom-shaped at the top. Oh, yeah, the glands. Uh, as, uh, as an, basically as a... Sperm removal device. Well, yeah, it's like a chimney sweep brush <laughs> to take out other men's sperm, but it was a chimney... You don't need to say it's so sexy. Yeah, which um, is... <laughs> But, you can put it in scientific terms. But it's also like a chimney sweep brush that then ejaculates soot into the chimney after it's cleared all the other soot out. That's a wonderful analogy. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's as if a chimney sweep <laughs> wants only his soot in your chimney, yeah. so he gets all of the other soot out first. Yeah. What I find, the, the thing I find fascinating about it as a theory is there's two things. Obviously, there's penis shapes, so we, our penis isn't shaped like the other apes, which is smooth. We have a glands, and, and, and studies have been done in prosthetic vaginas with prosthetic penises testing the kind of the diameter what what the glands needs to be like to kind of scoop out liquid that's uh, already in there and um, but it's also that and also the fact that we have sex for so long because the whole thing with thrusting especially um it's really related to jealousy like people who um suspect their partner may have been cheating or know that their partner is sleeping with other people thrust for much longer Right. than someone who kind of goes, well, she was in the living room all day in her pyjamas. Um, <laughs> they're very lazy. Um, they're thrusting. Um, so there's, there's a lot of things that can be kind of... Uh, it's really, really interesting. Well, it's, it's all about sperm yeah. competition. We talk, I think we talked last time. Yeah. I mean, I know we did one of the times about the kamikaze mm. sperm that are there to knock out other men's sperm or, or yes, other sperm, that, yeah. uh, rival sperm in the, that might be... Which, which is the... also a very... And I didn't understand that until writing this book and speaking more to people who, whose area of science this is, it's a very, very un, 
proven area of sure. science, kamikaze sperm. Right. So it's the most exciting area because it sounds <laughs> like, oh my God, this is the thing, and especially because how it's talked about in things like Sex at Dawn is like, oh my God, female sexuality is so strong and so powerful, but it's never ever been replicated. And in science, that means it's not true. Right. Yeah. Okay. And um, boring. <laughs> well, and this is yeah. just a theory as well. About I mean, it's so there's lots of things. It that... exists in other species, I should say. Kamikaze sperm is a thing. It's okay. just that it's not been replicated with humans. Okay. Yeah. okay. Um, but the idea that men, because you say that the uh, the the penis go, you know, the the fact that men have to have a period of relaxation in between intercourse yes, refractory is so period. that they won't take out their own sperm. Yes, it's why the erection, um, you, you lose uh, tumescence straight away, because otherwise, even just coming, like withdrawing from the woman, you're going to take out all of your own ejaculate yeah, or so a lot of it. You've got to be careful for that. Yeah. You want those boys to stay in there. Yeah. Well, or, or sometimes, no. Yeah. <laughs> you don't, and we should have used a condom. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's a- but I, the thing I'd argue about that is, like, especially as a young man, mm. uh, there's not that much time between the, the, uh, the penis going down and it coming back up again. It depends on the man, you know. Right. It really does well. depend on the man. It's a fascinating thing, because there are, even with young men, such a difference. <laughs> it is... It is it, it, it is a scientific experiment because I'm always the same woman. I've got the same moves. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, sometimes I'm sexier, sometimes I'm not in different relationships. And there are genuinely men that you can't touch it three hours after because it tickles too much. Yeah. They're like, oh! And then, and then there's men who, like, 25 seconds later can just go. Yeah. Yeah, very much. Uh, <laughs> very much. 30 years ago, that was very much the case. I mean, now I've got a there's, there's a whole scaffolding. Um, Takes about two weeks. I, I've got to get written permission. I was talking to another comedian. Yeah. He's slightly older than you, and he was. We were talking about the viropause, which is the equivalent of the menopause, but we don't talk about it as much uh, socially. So it's not as well known a, a term. But and it's when men's testosterone kind of. Um, drastically um, lessens and he was saying he's still waiting for it to happen because he's still got like the raging horn all of the time and still looking at women all the time just going like, when will I become a normal human <laughs> yeah well I mean it's still there a little you know I'm still there's still a little bit there okay but you know it's, de- it's definitely not what it was okay it's definitely not what it was but I, I think if if a, if a man can say 10 minutes later is ready to go then this idea that you'd be getting your own sperm out 10 minutes later. But he's going to be putting more in there, presumably. Yeah. You've got to just be, also, the, last, ten, ten just be the last guy in. You've just got to wait until minutes, everyone else is ten, falling ten asleep. 10 minutes, the sperm will have moved out of the way. Right. It would have gone... The, the sperm that so is what you're saying in that then direction. is that's a, that's a system that gets any sperm out, out there that was put in there in the last eight minutes. No, no, it was, it was, it was, no it's swimming in the wrong direction. The idea right. is not to ejaculate and then take all, a, a big bulk of it out immediately right. with you. Yeah. So what was the point of it? You're creating it... Making, I'm not defending the penis, by the no. way. I'm just saying with this theory, the idea is that if you instantly shrink, reverse your way out, you're going to leave more in there. And if you do have sex with the same person ten minutes later, you're putting more in, and they're really good swimmers, they're already off. Yeah, okay. They're up there. Okay. Do you want to hear a sex? I've sometimes, you know, had sex with someone and some stuff's come out. Yeah, it does. Yeah, so I don't know what that was, you know, and I had a girlfriend who was definitely cheating on me. 
Yeah. And I remember having sex with her and something came out. When with, you say with that, it sounds boob. like it's talking about a piano. <laughs> <laughs> when you say some stuff, you mean some other goop? Yeah, some goop came out. But it, there's goop up there, isn't there? There's other goop other oh, than there's goop. A whole there's a lot load. of goop There's up a there. variety of goops. But it could have been could have been someone else's goop. I think, what better time to call her? <laughs> <laughs> just, just, you guys be quiet. <laughs> you pretend you're not here. It'll be like, surprise, surprise. <laughs> It's all right. We, we, we managed to work out she'd definitely been cheating on me. It was fine. So either way, I'm kind of hoping it was just goop. I was hoping it was her goop rather than, you know. I'd say yeah. don't spend too much time thinking about no, it. No, I've thought about it now. Yeah. So why... OK, so about her cheating on you, it feels yeah. like you're still hurt about it. No, no, I'm, I'm just hurt about the idea of someone else, another man's spunk on my cock without my permission. <laughs> I wouldn't mind it if, you know, she said, like, we're going to put another guy's spunk on your cock. Um, I'd have gone, oh, well, all right. So you think that... I'll give, we'll give that a go. So, okay, but so it's just that, in a way, this is without interesting. my permission... So in terms of, in terms of consent, yeah. you think if someone else's DNA is on your dick, yeah. you should be forewarned and give permission? Um, yeah, I think that would be nice. Uh, on behalf of womankind, uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> we can't promise. Okay. <laughs> and menkind, actually. Actually, yeah. yeah. I always presume everyone's heterosexual because that's what heterosexual people do. I'm so sorry. It's okay. I mean, it's, that's... <laughs> I wasn't apologising no, to you. I know. <laughs> I was... I, I'm talking on behalf of, yeah. of gay men. Yeah. <laughs> who would have really I liked the bit. I didn't realise you were the spokesperson yeah, no, for I mean, gay no, they, they, got, they all got together and said, Rich, will you talk to us? Because <laughs> we're a bit shy about it all. And I said, that's fine. I've probably had another man spunk on my cock, so... <laughs> I know what you guys are going through. There we go, that's made it better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I so, heard a sexual rumour about you. Oh, God, what? So this, is, <laughs> so this is what I was thinking behind the curtain. I was listening to the beginning. I remembered that before I started stand-up, yeah. just when I started, I would have just have started, I had a sexual rumour about you. Okay, go on. Because there are rumours that go round. I'm not asking you to tell me if it's true or false. Oh, we'll I'm just telling tell you. you that I, I heard I'm it. I suppose how horrible it is. Um, so, because it's before you met Katie, or before yes. you were in a relationship, I was told, don't have sex with Richard Herring. <laughs> he likes to throw money in your face. <laughs> Also, the rumour was... The rumor can I have, was, a, can the, I have a rebuttal here? The, the, the rumour was not notes. <laughs> change. <laughs> so that's why you wouldn't have sex with me. Uh, it's, I, that's not true. I can promise that. I, every single rumour I've heard about myself. Yeah. And there's, thing, there, there's plenty of things that I, I've done that I should be ashamed of, and I'm not. Uh, and I would tell you if I like that. Yeah. But uh, I told you about the going for gold thing, right? That's, yeah, that's exactly, pretty... That, so I'm very open. Yeah, I'm yeah, very honest. Very open, yeah. I did, I've never thrown money in anyone's no, face. I wouldn't have brought it up if I thought it was a thing. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't thought about it in such a long yeah. time. And it's just so... Stand-up comedy is like school, like when no one ever grows up, and that is—it's just what happens, yeah, isn't it? It's, but it's sort of astonishing that 
you know, what I find interesting is the way that, because the other general one that I've talked about in As It Occurs to Me was someone said, what I've heard that you like to do is you get women back to your hotel room and then you sit in a high-backed armchair and make them dance while you masturbate. And, you know, if I've ever got a woman back to the hotel, that's not what I was going to... I'm not going to waste my time making them dance around. But that's... I'd make them answer the quiz questions. Okay. <laughs> I was going to do it. That was what I wanted to do, but... It's so weirdly specific about the, the height of yeah. the armchair. Yeah. Like, that's your thing. Yeah. <laughs> like... So... How, and I've heard that same thing about... It's actually about... I'm going to assume it's untrue of the other person, yeah. but, which was Jim... I've heard that of Jimbo. It doesn't matter, he's dead. It's Jimbo, and he probably did it. Uh, but Jim, they used to, that but used to be a rumour about Jim Jones. So there's these kind but of... But that's not tale. that bad. No, it's not that bad, but I would say... Again, Asking I would say... To, if if someone it. wants to dance for you, I think that's completely fine. I don't but they think didn't. Even I never did it! No, no. No, I'm not saying for you. I'm saying then for I threw anyone. money in their face. <laughs> I'm saying for anyone, like asking someone to dance for you if that's arousing is not, if it's a consensual, that's not, yeah. that's not a bad thing. I'm not going to say this next thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's another rumour about another person and okay. it involves, um, if I don't name the person, yeah. it's fine. So the other, there was another person and the rumour going around about them was space docking. Now, I don't think anyone does space docking, <laughs> but it's, I think the fun, like, I mean, it's like school, but it's describing to someone and they go like, so-and-so, they're into space docking. Right. And then Which, you have to describe it. Yeah. Which I presume is two penises. No, no. no. Okay, no. Okay. It's when you do a poo okay. into a condom, okay. you freeze it and you use it as a dildo. And the rumour was that this guy had a mini fridge. <laughs> that he took round with him on tour <laughs> to freeze his... <laughs> I mean, it would have to be a mini freezer as well. It I know. I knew when I said fridge. I mean, I'm not. It wasn't me. I know. <laughs> I didn't think about the logistics of it. I knew when I said fridge that it was wrong, but sometimes those mini fridges have a one layer on top <laughs> so that you can just... <laughs> I mean, what you'd have to do is carry, a, like, a freezer bag around with you with ice in it, and then you could just put that... I mean, I'm just... Yeah, I don't think... I'm it, just... I, don't, I don't think it's a thing. I think it's a no. very childish glee that we have about that kind of information or thinking that we have that information yeah. about people. And it is gleeful. Like, we all know stuff isn't true and the minute someone tells us that, I believe it. I bet there's yeah. so... And especially about comedians, there's so much stuff that is true that you yeah. could say about comedians. Yeah. And also, that, what's amazing is then they talk about it on stage. Like, when Joel Domit got caught yeah. masturbating... Um, You'll know this, but Joel, so I'm not, this is not a secret. Joel Domit was caught in a really horrible, horrific way where someone tricked him with his computer and videoed him masturbating and then wanted a lot of money from him to release it. And you just think that's the worst thing that could happen to anyone. People kill themselves over that kind of thing because of the, the shame and the humiliation and the fear. And then Joel turns it into the funniest Edinburgh <laughs> show he will ever do. <laughs> yeah. And then Which you've is... got no gossip. You can't gossip about him if it's like... No. <laughs> yeah. But that's but that's always you know my my philosophy has always been been about when I can't I can't help being honest about stuff as we've just yeah. experienced. But that's why we're this. comedians because yeah. we don't have that shame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm very proud of everything I've done. <laughs> 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 I'm very proud of things I haven't done that people have said I've done. I've done <laughs> throwing coins in women's face. <laughs> Thanks, darling. Were they allowed to keep the money afterwards no, or did no, I go... No, no. also, no, you're getting it wrong. The idea wasn't thanks, it was like, ugh, that's all you deserve. Have <laughs> 40p. <laughs> It'd be nice if people... 
you know, did that for you after you'd had sex, so you knew how well you'd done. I would, I would, well, I'd welcome that, and that's a good system because that goes up to infinity, really, doesn't money. So if it's thirty p, go, okay, I've got to try harder next time. Oh, five hundred pounds. Thank you very much. You know, there is a career where that literally. <laughs> <laughs> I might go for it. I might go for it. Um, <laughs> So, now, I think, well, because the book's about evolution as well, the thing that I, interested me, you talk about the um, men, uh, sort of catcalling men and men going cheer up, love, it might never happen and oh, that yeah. sort of stuff. But, you know, those annoying men that do that in the street, whistle at, wolf whistle at women in the street, and it, and it never seems to work as an yeah. idea. Well, there's two... What makes yeah. them... If, if things evolve because they have a success rate, even if it's a tiny success rate, mm. do you think that ever worked? Do you think they, those guys, they, they go, cheer up, love, it might never happen, and once in a million times the woman goes, oh, thanks, I'll suck yeah. you off then. Uh, yeah. uh, no, I think, with, so with those kind of, um, those kind of, uh, let's call them vocalisations, yeah. there's a lots of different reasons that someone might choose to do them, and sometimes it's about ownership of space. Like making someone feel uncomfortable. And this would happen if you were wearing, um, I'm trying to find a male example, um, stereotypical. Say you were, this is what it's like sometimes being a woman. It's like wearing um, a Liverpool football top and you're walking through Everton? (laughs) (laughs) The city of Everton. (laughs) (laughs) With your Liverpool... What you have is an awareness of I'm not supposed to be okay. here. Me being here makes me... Sli- I'm slightly more visible than I would like to be. It doesn't right. mean that every single person who passes you by wants to fight. It, but if there are certain signals that people can give that make you f- feel that, and you might just be a woman at a bus stop. You might be a woman on her way out. So you already have this awareness of like, well, I'm dressed up to look nice. And then when something happens, I blame myself. There are all these things that happen. And I think because we don't have enough communication, especially with young men, I think a lot of men don't realise that what they're doing is unwanted. Mm. So when I was a teenager and I loved to read and I always had books and always, always when I had a book, a man would come over and ask me what I was reading, which is... You're never, ever opening a book because you want to talk to someone, especially, like, a stranger, a strange man who's approached you. And then this thing, and I would have this... um, I just saw Hannah Gadsby's show last night. She has this thing about um, being a puffer fish where your rage just goes... And and it's kind of that, but you have this contained thing because you're polite and you're nice and you shouldn't have to be, but you also don't want to give a fucking book review to a stranger (laughs) at a bus stop when the whole point is this is my private time but there's a visibility. So I think it's something I've always found fascinating. And also, as an ageing woman, what's fascinating is people talk about how it changes when your fertility decreases, which is absolutely true. Um, I had so much more interaction with men I didn't know in my teens and 20s, and it happens very rarely now. Which isn't to... I don't miss it in any way. It's not a sign. It's an interesting observation that when I was younger and much more scared public transport was very difficult and it wasn't a beauty thing it was never me going oh my god i'm so fit it's like oh and i'm just a girl on her own which means sometimes it just felt like being a moth to to other people and i don't think they i wouldn't use the word predatory some of them thought they were being friendly but you think maybe psychologically it is just about that the power oh so they i think they you know it's like when 
It's like when someone, as a guy, and as a, so someone will email me and go, oh, I've worked out where you live because of something you've said mm. in this tweet or, mm. you know, something you've said in this blog, and I know exactly where you live now. I'm just warning you in case anyone else, that means someone else can yeah. find that out. Yeah. You kind of go, that's as weird as just being the person who... Yeah. You've, do you know you're just the person who's fat, worked out where I live in quite a difficult way and managed to find out where yeah. I live as a result? I know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you go, what is the thought process that makes you go, I want to see if I can find out where he lives. <laughs> yeah. I can. And so, and they, yeah. and they know which mean, that... Which means that someone who's weird, yeah. they could also yeah. find <laughs> And by telling you, and I don't even mind yeah. them trying it out, but, but by telling you, you they're, yeah. they're giving you a little... I know where you live. They're just basically, I yeah. know where you live. So no, it's a little they're threat. Also, they're asking for gratitude. So yeah. then now they're the hero. Like, thank you so much for warning <laughs> me, person who knows my postcode. Yeah. 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 So it's a, you do get it as a man, but not in any way the same level. Of t- and, and, and I think it is, and you know, it's sort of subconscious, I think, sometimes with the, with the person doing it. But I think there is a, there's an element of power there or trying to I, I, think, I so, so my thing with it is, and it's something that I realise now at 38, which I didn't realise at 16, which, which is that all of the time that I was very resentful about men approaching me, I hadn't ever considered the fact that our culture keeps telling men, if you want to meet women, go up to them. Yeah. Because I blamed them. I felt like I was giving off. Like, Leave me alone. I'm not interested. Um, I have. N- I don't care about you. I, I'm not here to meet anyone. I'm here with my friends. Always. Never wanted to go. Oh, who's the? I've never wanted to know. So I felt that was really clear. But if we keep saying to guys, hey, just go up, have a funny line, have a joke ready, offer to buy them a drink. That's what was unfair. Is I didn't realise we were saying to men that's the only way to meet people. Yeah. Well, that's, the book's interesting in that because you are trying to think of it uh, from both points of view. I'm trying to teach myself now, yeah. And I know the, the original idea for this book was to, to be look at men a bit more than this book is, right? It was, yeah, were, were so you... the idea... So when I was writing my first book, which was about the female body, I had kind of loosely pitched the idea of just doing a book called Manimal, which was the second one. I would just do the male body and how it's treated in culture. And then as I started writing it, it became clear that wasn't what it was going to be. Yeah. Especially because I don't have a male body, <laughs> and um, I realised well, that was very unqualified. So, it, so, it, so it had to be a perspective removed. Yeah. Yeah, but I, you know, I just sort of think. I mean, I'm sure we've probably talked about this before, but it's. I, I look, at, you know, think I am. You know, I've been through that mm. teenage period and that period where I mean, I was always too nervous to go and talk to her, and it, that was equally frustrating. I mean, I didn't, mm. you know, as much as women didn't want to talk to them, I wouldn't go and talk to them because I found that too embarrassing and weird. Yeah. But just the, if the minimal amount of education for men, for boys and girls, really, at that stage, if just someone had said, you know, it's not, you don't have to, like, you don't have to trick someone to go out, you don't have to yeah. impress them that much to go out with them, you just have to be a quite nice person, yeah. not a dick. I think that's the thing, I, I, I think there should be an empathy exercise, and it's not because I think there's any binary between genders, but if, if, if during teenage years there was such a, a to and fro about sexuality, not as like a, a precious thing that anyone is the gatekeeper of, but just in terms of every individual learning that... Um, yeah, you can be so turned on you can't sleep. That, that, that happens to you. And it, I remember listening to Take That on my Walkman and being like, it's so fucking fizzy. That I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I can't masturbate enough. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, this is never going to stop. And so... Like, so like, I, 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 and... Um, <laughs> 
so, so in terms of an empathy exercise, I can understand like any 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 other young person having that and thinking you're never going to have an outlet for it. Yeah, and it's just that sometimes if we, it's been framed in unhelpful ways. Um, for lots of young women, it's framed in a way of like this is your worth. Hold on to it. When someone has earned it, if if they like you enough, here are some hurdles you make. Women gatekeepers in lots of ways, and then and for boys. Uh, especially where I grew up, there was this whole thing of like getting people drunk. Yeah. Like, oh, just get them drunk enough. Or, or and this is why the book's about money as well, um, spending money, like taking women out, proving yourself to them in that way. And that, and were, that's all very unhealthy. And it's got nothing to do with pleasure. No. Well, you know, you said you, the, 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 the chapter about that, about whether men should have to pay for dinner on a yeah. first date and whether that's a, a normal thing and what, and what the reasoning behind that is. Um, mm. I mean, you know, is it an, is it an evolutionary thing of I mean, it's the providing? You know, there is a, there is yeah, a correlation, yeah. isn't there? There, there, there? You can you can apply evolutionary arguments to lots of things that we still have, which I find really helpful. Yeah. Because otherwise, we argue things from a very head up perspective. We go, oh, it's all the magazines of the fashion industry, yeah. <laughs> and nothing changes. I think it is based on. Um, it's very nice to be treated well, and that's not a gendered thing, but someone treats you nicely. Uh, we have some hardwired ideas about the ways that we treat each other well. Um, yeah, I, uh, but yeah, I, the, uh, men proposing in heterosexual couples is another thing. Yeah. You just think it's stupid. <laughs> it's so stupid. There's so much pressure on straight men to like create a fuss and do it well. And it's based on this really ugly thing, which is, you're asking if you can own her. You're asking her dad for permission, like, yeah. can I have it now? <laughs> <laughs> and then asking her, like, do you want to change your surname? <laughs> like, it's, it, it's really gross. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's sort of the, the DNA thing I think is interesting. I mean, obviously, like, we're controlled by our genes and, and there's this... But we're not controlled well, by our genes. Yeah. But it sort of feels, you know, there's... We, it sort of feels like it, I know this isn't scientific, mm. but it sort of feels in a way we're trying to trying to pass on our genes to the next generation. Oh yeah, we are doing about. yeah. And so so therefore the that the idea of those genes are controlling us, but actually it's not doesn't necessarily make you happy. So that whole idea of you know having to men having to feel they're the parent of a child, like the genetic parent of a child, yeah, and that whole the jealousy and everything that comes out of yes. that. Yes, it's not actually about your own individual happiness. Your genes are not that actually. But then, important that's, to you, this, you know. This is, this is why the most interesting arguments are about, I think, human beings as kind of robots for bacteria, because deeper than genetics, you have the fact that we are all of us ecosystems, and those bacteria, when they change, can drastically change our behaviour. It's been proved most in mental health, in terms of what's going on in your gut, changing what you do. I mean, free will as a concept. Did Tim talk about this? No. Uh, no. So I met Tim Minchin. Um, where would I have met him? Nine years ago at an awards ceremony. <laughs> and he told me free will wasn't a thing. Right. And I was like, yes, it is. <laughs> it absolutely is. I, I was like, no, when you do that, you, you devalue all of our choices all of the time. And he was like, you have to read this book. And it was like a pamphlet by a guy, a guy called Sam Willis. And then I read it and I've never seen him again. And I forgot to tell him. <laughs> I know what you mean now. There's no free will. It's not a thing. Like, I mean, there's a, there's a very well-constructed argument that all of us are just there's so many things influencing us yeah. that every time you think you're making a choice that's just the the equals that's the result of all of these pressures yeah i mean but uh, but we there is an intelligence we have beyond that right as not according to Tim well Richard. as opposed to <laughs> we can at least discuss it we can at least work it out but i yeah. think there and i think we can 
uh, rise above the animal within us at least a little oh, bit. But, but, but the, an- the animal within us is one thing, in terms, yeah. definitely in terms of like mating and genes, but then you have all of the things that affect you because of the things that, ha- that have happened in your life. Yeah. And then you have the bacteria. But, and also you have the, the bacteria of you know, religion and guilt that invades your mind, really. You know, so that you're made to feel guilty about perfectly natural things. You're talking about, in the book, about um, you know, Roman Catholic priests not being, able to ma- being allowed to masturbate, but they still do masturbate because you have to yeah. masturbate. You have to, so, yeah. yeah well, you know, and even when I was a kid... All, and I'm sure still now, but there was mm. it was like that was like oh no you know if you masturbate they genuinely were told well, that's you'd what go I thought, mad. Or... I was researching um, male masturbation for one of the chapters, and um, in the Bible, Jesus says, and one of his friends, Mark, um, separately they both say, just don't think about it, <laughs> just don't think about sexy stuff. And um, like having been in a human body, like that is not good advice. No. Like the more you try not to think, that's how you make people obsessed with the thing. That's how you create compulsion. The guilt element with our sexuality, and, and that's where it does become very out of control. Like with other addictions, that's a twofold thing. The worse you feel about it, the more the only point you're released from that guilt is when you're doing it, and then it all loads on again, and that's yeah. a horrible cycle. But they know it gets you going, though, doesn't it? So that's the thing with Jesus. He knew how to... Yeah. It makes it exciting, more exciting when you're guilty, I heard it? he wanked to going for God. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I heard. That could be. Um, let's talk a little bit about... Uh, the, the book's great, and I, you, we, there's, the, there's a podcast as well mm. where you go into more, more detail about... Well, the, what the I ideas. wanted to do, because I... I uh, uh, I was writing about some topics I am very naive about and, and, and I, the one thing I wanted to do was give a platform to people who have experience. So, for instance, with stripping or sex work or working in sex activism, um, quite often as comics we can get very in love with the sound of our own voice and talking on other people's behalf. Like, oh, I've read about this and now I understand it. And one of the things that I had to do alongside it really early on, I realised I can't talk on any... Because I have no experience. All of my stuff is ideas and mm. kind of filtering it so that's what the podcast was yeah 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 i mean it's sort of you, i mean i have to say you're still doing stat you know the, we, these books are they are funny as well yeah. but they but they're properly researched and they're mm. proper you know a, a good look at these complicated subjects uh and it's sort of weird in a way that i mean a lot of stand-ups end up doing this sort of thing mm. i think because we do obsess about subjects and then you want to get to the heart of it and also we have our daytimes i honestly yeah. think we're the, like, in terms of like being time rich <laughs> like you I was listening to you before I came on talking about having two days in a row of work <laughs> <laughs> you don't know how hard this is <laughs> because but we forget like that everyone <laughs> works every day um, which, and that, that is honestly the, the, the biggest the greatest fortune and privilege of comics is that we have so much time yeah we do have so much time yeah, and yeah. you haven't got kids. Uh, so, <laughs> but you're still doing stand-up, yeah. and the stand-up. And, and and I'm glad to see you were talking about um, the, about safe spaces and and how that's not really. I mean, it's it's not that possible in comedy. Comedy's not a place for no. safe spaces, which is no. I think a good thing to hear someone saying because yes. I think comedy's still got to be a place where where ideas can be explored. It's two things you can't have. So, I mean, in true comedy and you know this because you're at a live gig um but comedy stand-up comedy only works when you're in the room really like it doesn't really 
There are some amazing Netflix specials. This isn't me dissing anyone. There's amazing Netflix specials. There are some people who have had incredible sets on Live at the Apollo, but it doesn't, it's so much better. You have to be there, mm -hmm. really. And the two things that, for me are no advertising and yeah, there's no censorship. Yeah. And then the audience decides who they want to see and who they don't. Sure. I went to see Hannah Gatsby last night. I went to see, which will, in, when the podcast goes out, be seven months ago. Hannah Gatsby's <laughs> yeah. show, Douglas, by then will be on Netflix so you could watch it. It is, uh, for me, it was so joyous because every target she has, she has a routine about um, being misdiagnosed by a male doctor, which is so sublime. And I realized I'm enjoying this so much because it's similar to an experience I've had. It's because I understand that thing of trying to explain to a man what's happening in your body and him thinking, him saying you should go on the pill, like, rather than us look into your m mental well-being. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, um, and I realised that for, some, for other... And this is what I thought on the way home, and I felt so happy, I'd laughed so much, I felt a little bit lightheaded, and I thought, oh, some people will get this about Jim Davidson. <laughs> but they will, they will, because for them, it will be their Hannah Gadsby. They go, that is the person who speaks for me. That sure. is the person who puts the thing that I can't articulate that well so brilliantly that I'm so happy that finally someone is saying it, or I hadn't even realised that, and that's what I think as well. And, I, and, and, and actually, and I say this as an unoppressed person, which is where maybe I'm wrong, but essentially, maybe I'm just wrong then. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so shit, so I can't just say, like, maybe we can all have someone we love, but you can't if one of those people is racist. <laughs> so, no, so I'm wrong, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I realised while I was saying it, I'm wrong. I was trying to find a positive in Jim Davis. Yeah, but it's... You could like, like his, the bits that, that aren't racist. Yeah, that's it, it, though, yeah. yeah. But I... I, I but I think most comics feel that. Most comics feel that, and I think most audiences understand that, I, that. People walk out when they hate what you're doing, or and it doesn't have to be offensive or in any way dodgy. They will just stand up and go, "This is terrible. <laughs> what you're doing is so bad," and they will just tell you. Yeah. So we don't need a like regulation. No. Also, everyone's definition of punching down and punching up is completely different. Yeah. So we wouldn't ever find like a. We've all agreed. Yeah. Well, yeah. but it's but it's a. I think the reason so many comedians go into tr trying to grapple with a massive subject that you're talking about in this book, which you know you're never going to get the definitive answer on no. whether sex workers are, is a you know what the what the lowdown on that is, or whether porn's a positive or negative thing. Yeah. You're never going to get the answer that will satisfy everybody. But no. it's interesting to discuss it, and that's what yeah. comedy is a safe place in a way, to say, we're all going to discuss stuff and yeah. I'm going to say some stuff that's stupid and I'm going to say some stuff that's nonsense, I'm going to say some stuff that might be true yeah. and we'll work out between us what we all think about I it. I think positing ideas in stand-up, but for me, writing books has come out of the realisation that you can't just bring up everything in a stand-up no. scenario because it is self-indulgent, because the other people who've come, because it's comedy, <laughs> will go... What the fuck is this? <laughs> like, I've got a babysitter. This costs 20 pounds. And this is just you working out what you think. <laughs> do we have free will? I don't know. <laughs> like, like you, you do, there is an element of the deal is be entertaining. And, when you, if, and, if it, and if what you're doing is more interesting than entertaining, put it in a book. Yeah. <laughs> or a podcast. Uh, so, or a podcast. That's equally good. 
<laughs> podcast is good. But your uh, lads, lads, lads was as uh, you did it. Have you recorded the show at the Palladium? Mm-hmm. Is that coming? Is that out? Yeah. So uh, I've seen some clips online. It's, I, I saw you. Uh, I saw it in Edinburgh because you, uh, yeah. you you did a show. Or we did you did my theatre the same space as me. Yeah. Um, uh, you came and did an extra show in there, didn't you? That couple of years ago. It's a great show. Really, and uh, it was a, about your boyfriend, your previous boyfriend, and mm. he was doing a show yeah. about you as well. That Edinburgh. yes, yeah. So that was. Did you see his show? I haven't ever seen his show. Seen Has he seen your show? No. Okay. Which, I mean, which makes us sound like we're terrible enemies. Yeah. Um, which we're not. So, yeah, it's interesting with John. So John did a show. I mean, he didn't just do a show. He won what was called the Perrier. Yeah. Um, but he won it at the same time as Hannah Gadsby. So that's been an interesting trajectory (laughs) for them both. Do you think that them choosing his show instead of yours proves that he was right in the relationship and you were wrong? I think if all relationships could have a group of 11 to 12 of their peers just come in and judge who's funniest, wouldn't it it be made much easier? No, do you know what? I actually think in terms of how it's really horrible breaking up with someone. It's really horrible. That is a universal experience. Um, Deciding you want to be free or don't feel about somebody the way that they deserve is horrible. And it creeps up on you and you know you have to do it. And if then, ten months later, fucking like, oh, five stars, <laughs> ten grand in the bank, you're like, I, I was so good. <laughs> I was so good for leaving them when I did. <laughs> what a gift I gave him <laughs> for the rest of his career. So if you are in a relationship you are unhappy with, you leave that bastard, okay? <laughs> and were you, you were celibate for like a year? After I that? didn't have sex for a year, yeah. yeah. Intentionally. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've done <laughs> it. wasn't I've... just an accident. I tried to construct a show. But yeah. I, 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 so, I, so the point of the show that I did, Lads, 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 was that um, since I was 18, I had been in a relationship up to splitting up with John yeah. and had not had any gaps because I'm... Um, I'm not a cheater. <laughs> I'm just a, meeting someone new and then breaking up of the old relationship. I overlapped. Yeah for a long time, which is very unhealthy, because you take all of the stuff from the last relationship into the next one, all that kind of stuff. So that's, we needed a break. Yeah, so that, was that is a good idea. I think, yeah. I, 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 again, I've been celibate for a year, but not, yeah. uh, not through my own choice. <laughs> and, I've, and I think I've all, when I've broken up, when I've broken up with someone, I think I've never gone straight into another relationship. Uh, never have. I don't think I ever have, yeah. not with any, like, anyone like, significant. The trouble is it's just so distracting because the beginning of the relationship is the most exciting, overwhelmingly obsessive time. So you don't ever have to deal with the past. Sure. So especially like if you've... I had relationships where like, I moved out of a house and I didn't take anything with me. Like I left everything, all of my furniture, my saucepans, my duvet. But I was so like, that's what happened before John. And then I was so overwhelmed by how I felt about him I just like went, the past didn't happen. Yeah. I did need to process it a little bit. So with that year, yeah. did, were you processing all the relationships previously? or? I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think it's so hard to be intimate. Yeah, it isn't. It's do you really not think? easy. I, I mean, what think I would do, what, I'd split up with someone and then I'd fuck a load of people. Yeah. Uh, that was how I got over relationships. No, I don't mean they're getting over. I think the actual relationship bit. Yeah. I think actually... And I don't mean like, 
trust or control. I mean, actually just, I've got a dog, right? It's, yeah. it's 10 months old, this puppy. And the relationship we have, I go, oh, that's intimacy for the first time. <laughs> like, oh, what he does, when I get in the bath, he comes in and he puts his little paws up on the bath and I feed him the bath water because he likes to drink the warm water. And I go, well, that's intimacy, isn't it? <laughs> no boyfriend has ever run in. <laughs> no boyfriend has ever run in and gone, what does your bath water taste like, Sarah? And that's why it's never been enough for me. <laughs> I need that level of obsession. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Never date comedians, but you are doing again, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I am as well, I yeah. suppose. I don't think I don't think never date comedians. No. I think well, one thing I would say to people who are here, who if you fancy a comedian or you meet them after a gig, be wary. <laughs> um, be wary of comedians. Yeah. But I mean. I adore them. I might have said this when I was here with you last, last time, but Roisin Conaty, who's the wisest woman in the world and the most brilliant person, and she once said, um, comedian isn't a job, it's a species. Yeah. And, I, and for me, that's true. There's something about the way that comics are processing the world in this constant state of kind of making stuff and responding to things. Yeah, and I think it's also true in the way we recognise each other. I mean, like dogs, mm. we recognise each other even if we look different. What do you mean? Well, you know, different species of dogs don't look like each other, but they, well, they still know, know they're, they're not cats. Dogs. They know that. <laughs> they yeah, know no, you're absolutely dogs. right. Yeah. And like, once you once, I think with nearly any comedian, even if I haven't seen them for ten years, if I've known them once, you just sit down and you're back into wherever you were, mm. and there's an understanding. I think just of where we're all at, you know. Yeah. There, there's a, there is weirdly a, quite a lot of respect, I think, between... I know comedians have that. Oh, there absolutely is, because um, there's no safety. There's, the, the, I honestly think there's nothing to push back against. We go, that's solid. Yeah. With, with comedy. Yeah. Like, there's nothing where you go, well, I've done that now. So I, there's no ladder. There's no, nothing is ever built. It's all just like, push it. It goes... Ugh. <laughs> you go no no but I wrote a book like it doesn't matter you were shit tonight like it's, <laughs> like it's gone like it's there's nothing solid yeah well yeah I think you're right let's uh, ask some emergency questions and then go home okay I'm feeling don't, I'm, don't I'm, make it sound like it was like ugh <sighs> like, let's ask some emergency <laughs> questions then go it's home. been amazing who is it, it has been amazing um, who is the most famous person you have been in a lift with that you didn't get in the lift with, that you discovered in the lift. Oh, um, yeah. Daniel Radcliffe. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that one person in the back was like, "Whoa." And he just. He she just went up is, in my estimation. He, he just appeared in the lift while you were in the lift. And <laughs> yeah. he was going out. It was actually adorable <laughs> because um, there was an agent was having their agency party at the top of the Ivy. Oh, yes. And um, also at the top of the Ivy is a smoking area. So anyone can be in the lift. And so what there was was some, um, let's call them staff at BBC Radio, um, in the lift going up to the agency party. And one of the women was very drunk. And she, I had not noticed Daniel Radcliffe. She started going, and bear in mind, this is a lift, so it's this, as big as this table. If it isn't a podcast, it's as big as a small table. Um, and, um, or a lift. And, um, <laughs> Some people at home won't have been in a lift. <laughs> yeah. They've been living in their bungalows. Going. <laughs> so, um, the very drunk woman started going, Harry Potter. 
Harry Potter sind hier. Harry Potter. Harry Potter sind im Lift. Like this. And um, little Daniel Radcliffe um, just went, Hello, everybody. My name's Daniel. And then he shook everyone's hands in the lift. I know. It was so, it was such a beautiful, generous way to deal with that situation. Yeah. Hello. And then he shook everyone's hands. Yeah. What a weird life he's had, Daniel Radcliffe. He yeah. must be very difficult. He seems a very... Uh, well-adjusted. Like, he, he does, does seem well-adjusted. I think, I think if you go through that kind of child star thing, it's a stupid opinion, I think he's a very good actor, yeah. which makes it easier. Like He was a child actor, but I think that he's made incredible decisions since, hasn't yeah. he? And that's why the Weasley twins, their lives have fallen apart. I know, apart. I don't want to say that about <laughs> children. I, I, honestly, it must... No, it's not when they're children. When they were adults, they were shit were they? still. Yeah, oh. they were... Like, the kids weren't that good to begin with, and they got better. Mm. The Weasley twins, if anything, got worse as they became... Oh, as no. they became... I don't know. I don't know what, what... What else have they been in? What are you talking about? I'm just talking about Harry Potter. They were adults oh. by the end of Harry Potter. Were they? Well, more, I think so. I, don't, I think they were still technically children. And <laughs> okay. I don't think we should be married. Then I retract everything yeah, I retract said. retract it. I just think it's so hard. It must be... If you're but a I'm parent, still putting it out. If you're a parent whose kid wants to do stuff like that, it must be so difficult where you go, this is what an amazing opportunity. They want to live their dream. But then you have to have the rest of your life afterwards. And you know what it's like. With a, with a slight bit of public attention, the world is full of bullies. Yes. And, and for children, it just must be awful. Yeah. Don't be mean about the Weasley okay, twins. I, just one of them shit, the other one's all right. <laughs> I'm not oh, going to tell you which one's okay. which, so they can both feel happy in themselves. I was the good one. Okay, yeah. I think one of them's gone on to yeah. do some stuff. They both went to Hollywood, and I think one of them got a job without the other one. Okay. So he's the, the whichever one is, that's the good one. Okay. Um, so have you been in a lift with a famous person? I was, yeah, I was, I was a few. I was Jeremy Paxman when I was first yeah. in the BBC. Yeah. Uh, Billy, Billy Connolly, I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before, oh. but I was, I was on a one floor, was in Montreal, uh, and there was a lift to the hotel from the car park to the hotel, and then you got in and there was another lift to your rooms. And, he, and it, I had a horrible time in Montreal. Have you done Montreal? You must have done yeah, Montreal. Yeah, horrible time. I really yeah. hated yeah, it. Yeah, but, oh, I've been three times, I've hated it every time. <laughs> uh, and I had a really particularly bad time the last time I went. And then and I'd done this awful gig where ev all the other comedians, uh, the American comedians just basically do racist, sexist humour. And they'd been... Yeah. Been, it's all like the Korean people going, I'm Korean, so my parents are all like Benny Hill. Uh, and, Which is weird. Yeah. <laughs> Benny Hill being, doing a Chinese person. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then and a woman did, you know what our guys are like? They're all cheating. They're all fucking around. And they're all off, aren't they? But we still love them, don't we still? And I just, I felt so offended. Yeah. That she would was stereotyping men in yeah. that way, and then letting them off as well. Mm. <laughs> that I kind of walked back from this gig, really thinking I hate this place, and I don't know why I'm here. And I got in a lift, and Billy Connolly happened to be in that lift, oh. and he did like a 20, ten second routine about being in a lift. He didn't know any, you know, just there was four other people, and then he just went, "Oh, that's what it's about." You know, he had a, I'll do an impression of him. Oh, hello, <laughs> <laughs> it's me, Billy Connolly. <laughs> What's this with a lift just going one floor? What's that? He just did a brilliant bit of observational comedy yeah. that was the best thing I saw in Montreal that year. Oh, that's a brilliant uh, story. And it, and it completely, I think it might be in my book, How yeah. Not To Grow Up, uh, it completely sort of turned the whole experience around. Yeah. It was just magical. He's such an incredibly special, important comic, isn't yeah. he, Billy Connick? Not just for people who do comedy, but for audiences as well. Like, I think he's so many people's favourite comedian. Yeah. 
Well, he's, he's the, I think he's the best. Yeah. He's the best standard. I think he's the best yeah. UK standard. And, and it's that thing where sometimes when people are alive, you don't appreciate them properly in their lifetime. Like, yep. if we'd all been born 20 years ago... 20 years ago? No. That wouldn't work. Some, some of you will have been born 20 years ago. Um, if we were all born in 20 years' time, we would just grow up in that kind of way of going, oh, he would just be the name of the person. We go, well, that person invented a form. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. true. It's true. Um, so that is the answer to that question. <laughs> It's been lovely having you on again. Hey, it's lovely to, it's, it's, lovely you're to be here. You're always a fantastic guest. Um, where, what's coming up, bearing in mind mm. that this might be about April 2020? Yeah. That's pretty good. Do you think we've, do you think we've Brexited yet? Um, In April 2020? You can't ask me to predict that. I can. I because you can't... It's, anyone who says they, they know oh, is dude. talking shit. Yeah. Like, for me to go, like, oh, I think what's going to happen... I don't know. No. You don't know. None of us know. None of them know. <laughs> the people listening know. We don't know. The people We're listening, listening at know. Because they, they the know whether we've left what, or not. What's happened? Unless they, I think a solution might be just to do one of the things and not tell anyone what it is. Yeah. And then just everyone's left in the dark. Or maybe that's what's already happened. Maybe we're <laughs> yeah. still in. Yeah. Maybe that's it. They're just going to keep going, yeah. changing dates, and not realise, and then we'll all just die. Yeah. Eventually, people will forget about it if we leave it oh, long oh, enough. Oh, they won't. <laughs> they won't. My sister's diabetic, and we tried to get her um, insulin from America, just in case. And um, you still have to have a prescription. So you buy it from America, you get someone else to do it, but you still do a prescription. And the text she sent back to the WhatsApp group was, lol, I voted leave, I'll deal with the consequences. <laughs> she ain't forgetting. <laughs> <laughs> So, anything coming up? Um, yes, um, I've got a. I've, I've, I'm, I'm about to start filming a, I've got a sitcom on BBC Two, which will be out next year. So, this would be a good time to mention that to okay. people listening. Yeah. Good. And the paperback of the book will be out of in course. April or March or something. So. And it's a terrific book, as is the first book as well, Animal. Um, so, thank you very much for coming on. Do hey, go thank and you for see having uh, me. Sarah do a fantastic sound as well. Ladies and gentlemen, Sarah Pascoe! <laughs> shabby. You have been listening to Rahalastapa with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Sarah Pascoe. Thank you, as always, to Pest. You're no pest to me. I love you guys. You, I think you're doing a good job. Thank you to everyone at the Leicester Square Theatre. Thank you to everyone at Go Faster Stripe and the British Comedy Guide and ACAS. You guys rock my world, I'm telling you. Thanks to the camera guys and, the, and even George, the incompetent sound guy. I would very much like to thank my producer, Ben Walker, to whom I'm indebted. Uh, the executive producer this week. What a character he was. Joe DeCambry. You know that fella. Yeah, he always has a feather in his hat. Crazy. Joe DeCambry, that's what we call him. It's his name, it's just polite. This, thanks for executive producing. This is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFasterStrike.com production. You've been lovely. Now go to richchain.com slash gigs and buy tickets to one of the remaining shows that isn't sold out. Yeah, I love you. You know it. Take care. Yeah, no, you go. You hang up. No, you hang up. Come on. Oh, you hang up. You. <laughs> <laughs>